Holy Spirit, we pray that you give us eyes to see and open hearts and ears to hear God's call to each one of us. Amen. So this story, this story of the call of Simon and Andrew, is a really familiar story. And it's so familiar, we just heard that beautiful hymn, They Cast Their Nets. It struck me this year, hearing it this time, that it's a really, really strange story. And I think we've glossed over that because it's so familiar. So think about it. Here are these guys, probably young, but people maybe who had families and certainly had friends and a life and a livelihood, going about their business, fishing. Along comes a guy walking by the shore and he says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. What does that even mean? Because Mark is the gospel writer who tells us everything in the starkest, simplest way. We don't know what was going through their heads, right? But there has to be more to the story than, oh, okay, I'll just drop my livelihood and walk away from everything I know to follow somebody I may have heard about but I've never seen before to do something that I have no idea what he's talking about. Yeah, I'll do that. And I'll do it immediately. You know, it makes a little more sense when he gets over to the next boat or to the next people because at least they see that Simon and Andrew are with them, so there's some connection. But for Simon and Andrew, what happened? What happened in that moment for them when he says, follow me? So I spent a lot of time with this story over the last two weeks, and I was given, I think, a kind of unusual lens in which to think about it. So please play along here. Back in 1960, there was a Jewish lawyer named Clive Davis who started, who left his um, law firm and went to the in-house counsel at Columbia Records. There's a documentary about Clive that I watched, and that's what's inspiring this kind of interesting lens in which to look at this story. So I commend this. I commend the video to you. It's on Netflix. Clive Davis, the soundtrack of our lives. So in 1960, think about that time frame if you were alive then, right? The world was changing. The things of these world were the things of the world were passing away, as Paul says. And so Clive goes to Columbia Records and he serves as a lawyer for a number of years. And then in 1967, he becomes the president of Columbia Records. And in June of 1967, he goes to a very famous concert called the Monterey Clout Festival in Monterey, California. And there's this wonderful scene, this is not a spoiler because you'll love it every single time you watch it. There's this wonderful scene where here's this obviously very sort of East Coast lawyer-looking guy in khakis and a white tennis sweater sitting in the middle of all of these people who are dressed in tie-dye with flower power 
tattoos on their faces, and he's sort of the only one who looks like like him. Everyone else looks very different. And the thing that's so wonderful about the film is there's the footage of him seeing and hearing Janis Joplin sing for the first time. Captured on the film, it's in the film. And what he says about that moment was, you know, he had been in the record business now for seven years. He realized that the world had completely changed. He heard a sound he had never heard before. He saw a crowd of people who he had never seen gathered in that way before. And he made a decision to kind of shift how he was going to do his work. He kind of fished for new artists. And he did that by listening to them, getting to know them, befriending them, being in relationship with them. So two things that stuck out for me about the story was one, he was a very unlikely person to be called to have that revelation. The second thing was, he himself didn't actually change who he was. He didn't all of a sudden become a guy who grew his hair long, smoked a lot of dope, and wore crazy clothes. All throughout his entire career, always has a suit on, always kind of looks like the lawyer. Not that our outer trappings always reflect our inner self, but you'll take my point that he was called into something new, but he himself, with the gifts that he had, was who was called. He didn't have to change, he just had to open up and receive and see and listen in a new way. So, because I've been inhabiting that film and inhabiting this story, I started to see those connections. And I think what I'd like to suggest is that Mark, is that Simon and Andrew may have had a similar kind of experience when they met Jesus. They were called unlikely people, right? They were unlikely people, just fishermen going about their business. They didn't know anything about starting a new religion. They were fishermen. There must have been something. There must have been something about Jesus' presence or the sound of his voice or the way that he called to them or looked at them. Something had to have clicked for them that this was no ordinary guy looking for a ride home or whatever. Something must have happened. And again, because Mark tells the story so starkly, we don't know. We don't know what was going on inside their heads. But they were willing. They were willing 
to drop all of the old things of their world and step into something new that really was completely unknown. Completely unknown. What does that even mean if it's for people? It's kind of crazy, right? So holding these two stories next to each other is kind of fun. It's fun for me. I hope it's fun for you. I hope you watch the film. But I think the important point, the important point from up here, is that Jesus is always calling each one of us to follow him. All the time, every day. It didn't just happen to Simon and Andrew and John. It happens to us every morning, every day. He says, I will show you things that you cannot imagine. You will hear things that you've never heard before. Your life will be completely transformed. So, follow me. Now that's tricky, right? Because there are so many voices in the world calling out to us, beckoning to us. Voices that we want to listen to, voices that we don't want to hear, loud voices, quiet voices, seductive voices, violent voices, angry voices. They're everywhere. How are we going to know? How do we know when we're hearing Jesus' voice and not all those other voices? Well, one of the ways that we have a huge advantage over Simon and Andrew is we know the rest of the story. We know what happens next. We know a lot more about who Jesus is than they did. We know that Jesus is the Son of God. We know that the embodied person of Jesus that they encountered that day by the lake embodied all of God's desires and virtues and qualities, qualities of mercy and love and patience and care. So for us to follow, for us to follow that one, the one we know, means that we too embody those things. We too are his followers who embody mercy and justice and love and patience and care for the poor and care for one another. We show that we follow by not just our words, but how we live our lives. The other advantage we have is they didn't know what it meant to fish for people. They didn't know what that vision was that Jesus had. But we kind of know the end of the story again, right? We know that he was willing to die for us and that he then rose again from the dead, defeating death, bringing new life out of death. 
So any fear, any fear that we have as individuals or any fear that we have as a church community about, oh my goodness, what's going to happen next? We don't need to have that fear. Because we know, we know without a doubt that out of any passing away, out of any death, out of any huge change, comes new life and new opportunity when we're doing it as followers of Jesus. One final point. We are all weary of the COVID thing. We are all longing to be back together in this beautiful space together. But there's a caution in that. There's a caution in that. And that is, when we get back together, which we will do, it will eventually happen, it will need to be in a new way. We will need to be like Simon and Andrew, who dropped everything that was old and walked into a future that they had no idea what was going to happen next. That's going to be true for us when we finally get back together. And I know that because of a couple of things. I know it because that's the promise that God makes to us. Whether we want it or not, we are always being transformed. Things are always changing. Sometimes we're right on board with it, and sometimes we resist like crazy. But in God's economy, new life is happening. And I see that here in this community in many, many ways. But in a particular example is in the Joy Capital Campaign, where this community in the midst of a pandemic has raised over $1.6 million towards a $2 million goal to do two things. To increase our partnership with people in need in our communities, to do more outreach with money, to do more outreach with our hands, to do more outreach and make more connections with our hearts around issues that matter, real issues in people's lives in our community. Last year, we gave away over $43,000 to help people who were hungry or people who had lost their jobs. It's already different, folks. It's already not the same old trinity. And the second part of the Joy Campaign, Christopher and I have received 10 applications so far for a director of youth ministries position. It may look like we're doing an old thing, but in fact, we are renewing our commitment to the young people in our community. We're renewing the promise that we made at their baptism to support them in their life in Christ. And as we've seen through this story, life in Christ is an adventure, is a journey, is a stepping out into the unknown. So whenever the right person is identified for that position, the director of youth ministry position, we're going to be doing a new thing. Our young people have, many of them have been 
doing school from home and haven't been doing sports or seeing their friends. They're different than they were a year and a half ago. So the programming and the care and the, the worship and the conversations, just by virtue of that, are going to be different. They've had a different life experience than the rest of us did when we were in high school and middle school. So I guess my caution is, is, also, is just sort of wrapped in excitement. It's wrapped in a lot of excitement. And I hope that for this community, when we are back together again, that we can follow in that same trusting way as those first disciples did. That we'll feel free to let go of some of the old stuff in order to listen better and see some people who look differently than we do and hear a different message and follow the one who is always telling us the truth. The truth about God's love and about God's mercy and about God's care for the poor and about God's transforming work in each one of us all the time. That's the good news in today's story. So much more than the little tiny story that we're so familiar with. So as you go forth today, may your heart be open, your eyes open, and your ears tuned to that call. Because he's saying, follow me to each one of us. Amen. Amen.